Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. Joining us now is a man who earned varsity letters in basketball, football, and baseball at Wayland High School in Wayland, Michigan. After one year at Western Michigan University, he signed with the Detroit Tigers in 1956. 63 seasons later, he's still wearing a big league uniform, as this past season he served as the pitching coach for the New York Mets for part of the 2019 season. It is a pleasure to welcome the New York Mets fantasy camp favorite and the man Dodger legend and former teammate Sandy Koufax, nicknamed the Vulture, due to his knack for earning wins in late-inning relief situations, the one and only Phil Regan to Sports Talk New York. Hey, Coach, how you doing? Hey, very good. Boy, you did your homework there. You had to go back a long ways for some of that stuff. <laughs> you know, so let's go uh, back a little bit. So before we talk about last season, let's talk a little bit about your career. We mentioned in the open about you signing with the Tigers in 1956. It's pretty cool because you grew up in a town called Whalen, listening to Harry Heilman call the Tigers games on radio when the Tigers had players like George Keel, Hoot Evers, Vic Wirtz, and Hal Neuhauser. And after graduating high school, you're invited to Tiger Stadium to work out. I can only imagine what that's like. Take us through that, you know, going to the stadium where you were listening to all these games growing up and what that was like and how it led to you signing with the Tigers. Well, it it, it really was an unbelievable thrill because Wayland, Michigan is a town of about 900 people, and I lived outside of that on a little farm. And, uh, you know, we didn't, we didn't, have, a, we didn't have a telephone. Uh, in our house, uh, we had to walk down to borrow the neighbor's phone, and that was a dial phone, which is a party line. Everyone could listen in. Uh, we didn't have television, so you listened to a lot of radio. Uh, you read a lot of books. You did a lot of things outside, you know, with your brothers and sisters. So, you know, that that was that was quite different. But but Harry Heilman uh, w- was really special, and the Tigers were special because, you know, it's it's amazing today that. If if you ask me, probably who who the Tiger pitchers are, I, I probably couldn't tell you. But I can tell you almost every player from back there when when I was in high school, which was like you said, George Kell at third, Johnny Lipon at short, uh, Jerry Pretty at second, George Vico at first, Red Wilson was the catcher, Hootievers, Johnny Groth, and and uh, Vic Wirtz in the, in the outfield, and Hal Newhouser, Virgil Trucks, and Steve Gromek, and all. Oh, so you you remember them because there there was not the free agency, and they stayed with the team. You know, all those years, but then to be be called up and and uh, my high school coach took us down to Detroit, and the first day it rained, so and the second day it was raining, so they took us out into the center field bullpen, and when a, an old guy by the name of Schoolboy Rowe uh, watched me throw, and and I threw there for him, and uh, I remember saying and hearing him say, "Yeah, he's got enough," and so they they you know at that time that it was a little bit different. They didn't have the draft. They had what they call uh, where they they had a bonus rule where if you got more than four thousand dollars you had to stay with a major league team for two years. Uh, An Al K line, for instance, was one why he never played in the minor leagues. Uh, Jim Small was the year that I and Jim Brady, a guy from Notre Dame, were the two guys that signed the year that I were there. But I got four thousand dollars to sign and sent to uh, uh, Jamestown, New York, and they they said you can take this bonus any way you want to. You can take the uh, how, however you want. So, and I said, well, I don't know. What, what do you think? He said, well, most guys make about $250 a month. And so he said, you take the 2700 and you, you get the $250 a month. And 
I didn't know that later on that was going to come back to haunt me because I won 17 games that first year. I was 17 and nine. It's 220 innings, and they sent me a $25 a oh, month raise, wow. about $125 for the year. Uh, <laughs> so you know, it was interesting at that time. You know, it's interesting because you mentioned a pitcher that that said you have enough. And in talking to you know you Guy Conti guys that have such a wealth of of information and in, in the game. You talk about how certain pitchers learn a certain grip and it changes their career. Um, that point happened for you in the spring of 58, and it, it, I think it was from the guy you just mentioned when you were in Birmingham, uh, in, in Ocala, Florida, when he came over to you and he taught you a pitch that would change your career. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, it, it's, it's kind of an amazing uh, story because, uh, to me, it's amazing because uh, when I was a senior in high school, I went down to a, maybe I was a junior, I can't remember quite. I went down to Kalamazoo, Michigan, and the Tigers were having a, a, an open tryout there. And uh, the guy that was, that was running that was Schoolboy Rowe. And, and I threw for him, and, and, and the thing that he told me, and I remember was, he said, young man, he said, you, you're going to have to get, raise your arm up and get up on top of the ball a little bit more because if you ever play those left-hand hitters, are going to eat you alive. That, that's where the words he told me. Well, you know, I was in high school, and, and, you know, I was fairly successful in high school. My senior year, I was 11, 11 and 1, or so 11 and 0, whatever. And, and uh, so I didn't change. Uh, I didn't change my first year in Jamestown or in Durham the second year. But then I got to Birmingham in the spring of uh, 1958, and schoolboy Rowe was, was one of the pitching instructors there. And he took me aside, and, and the first thing he told me, after not seeing me for four or five years, said, young man, you're going to have to raise your arm, and the left-hand hitter is going to eat you alive. <laughs> thing he told me. Wow. And, and so he, he changed my delivery a little bit and got me up on top of the ball, kind of become a herky-jerk, and he taught me the slider. And, uh, you know, within, within two years, I was, I was in the major leagues after, after that, which was the pitch I really needed. Never had a really good curveball, and so him teaching me the slider got me to, got me to the big leagues. And you talked about two years later, you're in the big leagues, and your first game is July 19th, 1960. You come in relief for Don Mossy, and you go five innings. You give up only one run uh, to the great Harmon Killebrew. What do you remember most about that stroll to the, the, the mound that day for the first time? <laughs> well, well, uh, I'll tell you what I remember. There, there was like 30-some thousand people there. There's 900 people in Whalen, Michigan. <laughs> so that was, that was different. Uh, the other thing I remember is that Ozzie Virgil, who had played with me in Detroit, uh, I was pitching to a guy named Jose Valdivielso. I struck him out with a curveball, and he came up, and he said to me, where'd you get that curveball? I said, I don't know. I haven't thrown that curveball since in my life, but I was so scared and afraid. I don't really remember too much about it, uh, other than I had pitches that night that I've never had before in my life. And, uh, it, was a, it was a great, big thrill to be. You know, when you, when you walk down, and when you're a kid, and you go drive to Detroit to see Ted Williams and, and people like this and, and Al Kaline, you sit right here and watch him and he's 18, 19 years old and you say, wow, what a great player. And then, and then to be there at, and, and be on the same team with him, it's, you know, with an Al Kaline, it, it was pretty, pretty special. So you get traded to the Dodgers and Sandy Koufax gives you a nickname that to this day still sticks with you. Tell our audience how you became known as the Vulture. Well, it's it's kind of an interesting story because uh, you know uh, he uh, Koufax. I, I I went to the Dodgers I, from Detroit. I, I'd been a, relief, a starter all my life, and I thought I was going to be a starting pitcher. But I'll, I'll give you a little background on the story: is that 
that year, 1966, uh, the Dodgers had won the pennant in 65 in the World Series. And so that spring, Colfax and Drysdale held out all spring trying to get $100,000 apiece from Walter O'Malley, which he wouldn't give in to him. So they didn't even come to spring training. So I had, I thought I was going to be the fourth starter on, on the Dodgers because they had they had Drysdale, and Colfax, and Claude Osteen, uh, three pretty good pitchers, but they were looking for that fourth pitcher. Uh, so so I had a great spring and, and uh, pitched, pitched really well. And, and But there was another young pitcher there in, in Vero Beach named Don Sutton who pitched also very well, but he's only 20 years old. So we went to uh, we went to Arizona. We broke camp and we went to Arizona, and Drysdale and Kovacs joined the team, and and then we went on to L.A. and and uh, uh, they they called me in and said, you know, we, you've had a great spring, but we we want to give Sutton two starts. We don't want him to relieve, and if he we're going to give him two starts. If he doesn't do well, we're going to send him back to Spokane, and then you'll become a starter. Well. We started the season. I come in and relieve the first the first night. I relieved Colfax because he got knocked out of the game because he, he didn't have any spring training. And I, I went, I went, I don't know, four or five innings, I guess it was. And, and uh, Alston said, well, we know he can pitch long relief. We're going to try him in short relief. So then I came in later in, in short relief. Well, then then this went on, and I and Sutton pitched well, and I stayed, stayed in the bullpen. And that's how I became a relief really pitcher. But then... Uh, Along about the middle of the year, maybe uh, uh, Koufax was pitching a game against the Phillies against Jim Bunning, and and this unusually went 12 innings. I think he struck out 16 guys, and it was a one to one game. And they took him out, and I came in, and and we scored a run, and I I got the win. Well, four days later, we went to Pittsburgh, and he started again, and and he went I think eight innings, and they took him out for a pincher. He struck out 10 guys. And uh, I come in and pitched an inning, got got the win, <laughs> which wasn't all bad. I two, so I had pitched two innings, had two wins. He had pitched like I don't know twenty innings, struck out twenty six guys, and didn't have a win. <laughs> and uh, after the game in Pittsburgh, he came, he was waiting for me in the clubhouse. He said, "Regan, you are a real vulture getting my wins like that." <laughs> and some reporter heard it, and and that was that was kind of the way it started. And, uh, it kind of stuck. Certainly, uh, did. kind of amazing. I didn't you didn't think a lot of it at the time, but uh, <laughs> the zoo in in L.A. was going to put a vulture in the bullpen, chain him down there with us. Uh, I started getting these rubber vultures from all over. I must have got a thousand of them from all over. I don't know where they got them, but they started get coming in the mail, and that's kind of the way it stuck. Now it's also interesting. You spent 13 years in the majors. You win close to 100 games. When you retire, I, I can't fathom that ever in your wildest dreams that you could believe that you would spend three times that amount in a uniform as a coach, whether it be your first coaching job at Grand Valley State University, Mariners minor league pitching instructor, advanced scout, major league pitching coach, stops with Cleveland, Chicago, manager's job with the Orioles, varying pitching positions with the Mets, including interim pitching coach this season. So much was made about your age when you took over the job, including even us here on the show. Did you hear a lot of it, and did it surprise you? Uh, I heard I heard a lot about it. And in fact, I asked him. I said, uh, "Do I have number 82?" They said, "Why?" I said, "Well, every article I read it says Phil Regan 82, 82. joins the Mets." <laughs> so I thought maybe that was going to be my number. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just owning but, it, I guess. No, it, you know, I, I I understand it. You know, I understand people. I understand even where the Mets are going. You know, with it. You know, there there are not many. Coaches that are 82 years old that are that are that are being coaches in the in the major leagues and and I I just appreciate the fact that you know that, that the people understood after I got there that you know I could 
I wasn't in a wheelchair. <laughs> I could still move a little bit, and and uh, and that the Mets gave me the opportunity to come there. I you know I I told them it took me 20 years to get back to the major leagues. I, guess, I hadn't been there since 1999 when I retired from Cleveland, and then in 2019 to get to get back there. But not, not a lot of things change. It's pretty much the same, and and uh, you know I was I was just kind of thankful for the opportunity. And but and, and really I, I have to tell you this, fellas, that. Uh, the people have been so great with with on the on the uh, on face uh, Facebook and all these things and all, all the articles that uh, they they just been so positive even even about the age even a lot of old people have said you know you've given us a little bit of hope so you know, you know it, it's it, been great you know what I'm glad you said that because it, it's not only that and listen I know you embrace the analytics and I'm going to ask this a different way because. I'm, you know, I'm going to be 60, and the game to me still boils down to, you know, what's in a guy's heart and, and his competitive nature on the mound, and a lot of the analytics goes past me. So I want to ask this differently. You know, during your career, I looked at this. You kept some pretty good hitters down. Roger Maris hit 0.77 against you. Orlando Cepeda, 179. Felipe Alou, 190. Mickey Mantle, 188. This is all before analytics. How did you pitch against Mickey Mantle without having reams and reams and reams of data to be able to get Mickey Mantle to bat 188 in 30 plus at bats against you? Well, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you that, and I, and I think this is this is still holds true today, uh, and and, it, and we could be better at it than than what we are because we get the analytics and we get this we go over the scouting reports and and it's all written out for us. And we showed up on the video. And the guys look at it and they say, "Yeah, they understand it." But in in my era, when you came up, when you had the stu- you had the study, you you didn't have the scouting, you didn't have the advanced scouts, so you didn't have all the the television, you didn't have all the computers, so you had to know how you got people out. Uh, you had to know how you got a left-handed hitter out. You had to know how you got a right-handed hitter out. I came to Detroit. We were playing the Yankees, and and I was starting against New York. And Jimmy Dykes, the old manager, handed me a handed me. A, we met in the clubhouse, and he handed me the lineup. And says, "How are you going to pitch them? How you want them played?" And that was the scouting report. You had to know every hitter. Uh, I, I I point this out to to when I went back to to Seattle as a pitching coach, and I had a guy named Mike Moore who had never had a winning year, and and uh, we we had a meeting, and at that later on we. Uh, you know, at that point in time, instead of the whole team meeting, you met with the shortstop, the catcher, and the center fielder. The guys kind of up the middle, and so we. I had the lineup, and I handed it to Mike Moore, and I said, "Mike, here's the lineup. How do you, how do you want? How are you going to pitch him? How do you want us to play him?" And he looked at at the lineup, and there was a big pause, and he sat there for a minute, and he looked at me and said, "What's the scouting report say, Phil?" And and so I I went over the hitters with him. After the meeting, I told him, Mike. You need to learn the hitters. If you want to win, you got to learn the hitters. And that year, he at the end of the year, he could tell me every hitter on how he pitched them and what they were going to be, how he's going to get them out. And he won 17 games that year. So it's it's all about studying the game. Uh, Milt Wilcox told me, I said, Milt, you want to go over the hitters? And he said, No, I pitch them all alike. I know how I get a right hand hitter out. I know how I get a left hand hitter out. And and that's pretty much the way I did too. I knew I could get left-handed hitters out by sinking the ball away, throwing them sliders in on their hands. I did it the opposite to a right-hand hitter. I threw him fastballs in on his hands and threw him sliders away. I knew how I could get those guys out. 
but I also knew what their strengths were and what their weaknesses was from from just watching them, from studying them. And uh, that's I, I think analytics are great. I think all the things that they're that they're doing now are 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 way 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 above what we ever. I think the players are stronger. I think they're 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 better prepared than what we ever were. Uh, and and I wish we I could have been part of that uh, in in that era, but 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 you weren't. Uh, but here's the thing that that I I don't see is as I watch in the bullpen and I see the guys with the machines and they say uh, they throw a pitch and they'll say not good. So I say to them, okay, maybe okay, let's go let's go to Diaz, the reliever. Say he cuts under the ball. How do I? How do you want to? <laughs> okay, it's not a good slider. It's a it's a hanging slider. He's cutting under. How do we change it? They can tell me what it does. But they can't really tell me how to change it. They and and that's and there's where you need the experience and the pitching coach that knows how to do the mechanics and get the me- mechanics right so that the ball does do what you want it to do. And there, that that's what the machines can't tell you. And and you're right about another thing. I think there are five boxes that you check on a player: can he hit? Can he run? Can he throw? Can he feel? Has he got power? That's a five-tool player. But there's another box that I tell them they ought to check, and that's makeup, yep. his stomach, his heart, his desire. Uh, I, I can take, you know, I can play on every team that I've had in the minor leagues, I can tell you the guys that are going to make the major leagues. And it's not because this guy throws hard. I've had guys throw 100 miles an hour and said they're not going to make it, you know, because of his makeup. So those are a lot of things that, that I look at, and, and you're right, <laughs> there's got to be another box because makeup is so important to a player. You know, one more question on analytics. I'll never forget this. Pete Rose was on our show, and we were talking about what makes a great manager. All that talk about managers coming direct down from the booth onto the field, not having minor league experience. And, and Pete said a manager only needs to know three things. He needs to know when to pat a guy on the ass, when to kick a guy in the ass, or when to leave him alone. So when it comes to being a pitching coach, do you also have to get a gauge as to when a guy – needs analytics, when a guy, you know, if you give him analytics, it's overload for him, and a guy just to leave alone or the amount of analytics. Because, you know, let's face it, when you're talking about Edwin Diaz, right, you were, you're, the pitch that made you is a slider. This guy is a slider pitcher. A year ago, before this season, he was lights out. This season, something happened. He wasn't the same pitcher. You know, when you start giving him analytics, maybe he starts straying away from his slider because a certain batter, you know, can hit a slider. But if that's his outpitch, shouldn't he be using it? I, I know there was a lot of questions there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's true. I, I agree with you on that. That analytics can confuse you. You have to know the player. You have to know the makeup of the player. <clears throat> there, there's one player on our team, and I won't tell you which one it is, but you you can't give him a lot of of. Uh, to try to change his delivery and a lot of a lot of things because he, he you know he he doesn't want it he doesn't he doesn't use it uh, so you just let him pitch and 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 let him go uh, Edwin Diaz uh, you know we, we he had a little bit of confusion I think in that he didn't understand the the track man that was behind the plate because he'd throw a slider maybe this year in the bullpen and they'd say oh that's great. And then he'd throw one that was really pretty good that he thought was good, and they'd say that's not good. And and he said, I you know what? I'm I'm confused. He said because the the one that they say is good is the one they hit out. <laughs> and so, but what they were talking about was the depth of the slider, not so much where the location was. And he was thinking location, 
and they were talking depth. Uh, was it breaking down? And it might be right over the middle of the plate. He said, Phil, that's the ball they say is good. That's the ball they hit out on the ballpark on me. So, you know, you got to make sure that you know your player, uh, what that he understands the analytics, that he understands what, what you're talking about, really. Lastly, with Zach Wheeler gone, some schools of thoughts are that the Mets could stay in-house, promote Seth Lugo or Robert Gesellman into the rotation and go and get a fifth starter. Or the two Lugo and Gesellman, you know, they stay in the pen. Which of the two of those guys are better suited to being a starter, do you think? Well, if, if, if I was to say it today, uh, I would probably say Lugo. Uh, because he he started before he started for me when he was was down in St. Lucie. Uh, he's a student of the game. He he was he was one of the guys that when we would you know I don't know if you've been to St. Lucie, but in the uh, at the St. Lucie at the Major League Complex there there's there's what they call a six pack uh, where you, where the pitchers do all their throwing in yeah, the spring which and, will and, which will be and, getting you yeah. nauseous in the next couple of weeks with the fantasy camper guys down right, there. Right. Yeah, get, right. <laughs> well. Every time that we would, I would have someone throw. Seth Lugo would sit on those steps that lead up to the stands, and he would watch every bullpen, and he knew every pitcher. He knew, and he listened, and he he studied the game. So it was not a surprise to me that you know that he made the major leagues. I I think he he's improved so much with his curveball, with his spin. Uh, in fact, he might even be better suited. Uh, he's a great reliever. He's done great. Uh, but with some of the, with his arm a little bit, he might be better uh, as a starter where you can give him five or four or five days off uh, in between starts, too. Awesome. I, I think he would be the one that, that I, if I was to pick those two, I like Gazelman really because of his delivery. I like him in the bullpen. Uh, he sinks the ball. He's got a great slider. Uh, he gets a lot of ground balls. He's competitive. Uh, so I, I kind of like him in the, in, in the bullpen. Well, we're surely going to miss seeing you out at City Field. I know, like I said, you're definitely going to have your hands full trying to strain out some of those Met Fantasy Camp pitchers in that six pen. So uh, have a great time. I know the guys love spending time with you down there. I'm going to miss you this year, um, and I'm surely going to miss you at the stadium. But uh, I know that you're going to have a hand in, in a lot of the younger pitchers, you know, down in the minors working with them. So uh, really appreciate you coming on tonight, Phil. All right. I, I might tell you, just give you a little uh, little extra here. I got Zamora down, down here in La Romana, in the Dominican Republic, in the Winter League, and I have Zamora, the left-hander that was in our bullpen, Maza, who was there, and I had Bachelor, who just let, went home. He had a little little bit of a uh, ribcage problem, and he, and he left home. Tim Peterson is also coming down here and pitching. So uh, we have a lot of them down here. We're, we're doing well. We got a a four-game lead to uh, finish in first place with seven to play, so we got a pretty good chance of winning this thing. Love it. I like I like Zamora's stuff a lot, and I'm really glad you guys re-signed Brock. Uh, Brock, I, I thought was a really good arm. Yeah, for us I as like well. him. Yeah, I like him too. He's uh, he's he's gonna he's gonna really help. All right. Thanks so much, Phil. Have a great night. Okay. Thank you. The Vulture, Phil Regan.